0: Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. You can't reach what's in front of you if you can't let go of what's behind you. That's the takeaway of this week's podcast. You can't reach for what's in front of you if you can't let go of what's behind you. That sentence was written by James Altucher. A couple years back, James gave up almost everything he owned. There was a New York Times piece written about it that was headlined, Why Self-Help Guru James Altucher Only Owns 15 Things. There were photos alongside this story. One of them, the small canvas carry bag that James stashed everything he owned in. I was fascinated by James the moment I read that story. And then something magical happened earlier this year. I got to go on his podcast as a guest. I'm told that you need 900 hours to make a friend. That you just can't be a friend to someone. Unless you've both gone through that 900 hours of shared experience certain I believe that because I felt like I was friends with James instantly. You get a feeling for the overlap when you listen to the beginning of this podcast. It's the sort of back and forth that we have at Larry King's breakfast table. The conversation you're about to hear was set in James' apartment in New York and recorded by his audio technician, Jay Yao before I even realized Jay was recording. You're going to hear my son, Dylan, who's in his last year of college at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and James' producer, Steve Cohen, easily jumping in. The conversation evolved from chess to technology to television to, who else? Donald Trump. So I'm just going to start it out that way for you to get a feel for it. But after about 10 minutes or so, this podcast turns into a discussion about things because I must acknowledge and even confess I need some help. As you're going to hear, I associate things with memories and I keep them around to keep my happy memories constantly beside me. I don't actually see myself as a hoarder, but, well, others might because all my happy memories seem to be attached to things which I won't give up. You can't reach for what's in front of you if you can't let go of what's behind you. Time and again, James has reached out to something new and transformed himself. After growing up in New Jersey and graduating from Cornell, he started a web design company, which he later sold for a fortune. Then he became an investor in many companies and almost lost his shirt. I guess he wouldn't have had to give it away that time. Then he bounced back as an analyst on Wall Street. Then came the Great Recession. His blogging during that period of time was so truthful, it went straight to the marrow. James has written many best-selling books, and his blog has led one guy to call him the Oprah of the Internet. He's moved on to stand-up comedy, cryptocurrency, And you know, maybe that's why I like him so much. His curiosity is always taking him someplace new, just like mine. So I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I love sitting with him and talking. Let me thank my sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter, for making it happen. You'll hear more about them in the mid row But for now, let's pick it up in James' apartment in the midst of the, hey, how you doing phase of the conversation.
1: It's just like with chess. Like if you watch two world champion level players play, for the average person, it's not gonna be interesting until the very, very end. But if you have a good commentator and if you have enough sophisticated knowledge, then you can really appreciate, but that's why it's not a good spectator sport.
0: Yeah, you remember when, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself, um, Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer sure. played in Iceland. Uh, back then, There's no internet. But Channel 13 had that guy, what was his name? Uh,
1: that, yeah, yeah, that guy was, was a he became famous. Everybody
0: tuned into, that's right.
1: I remember, I used to watch it, I was only like, f- I was
0: four or five years old. You watched it even then? Yeah, because my dad would watch it, I would watch it with him. And you would have to wait the next day for the newspaper to get all the moves that had been made. And then you would look at the newspaper and look at the chessboard and move the pieces to approximate.
1: Yeah, no, I remember in the 90s, though, um, when Kasparov was playing Deep Blue for the second match, um, I would log on to the Internet Chess Club and get some popcorn and just sit back and... Watched the game and there were tons of grandmasters commenting and it was great. It really was a spectator sport for that. And and in a specific environment, which were the chess boards there and everyone's commenting down a stream and you couldn't watch it on TV, but it was perfect for the internet chess club. Wow.
0: Yeah. There you go. It's amazing how technology has completely remade the world in what, 20 years? 20 years. And then I would say, I mean, this is even... Topic
1: we could talk about, but I would even say since 2010, like, and then again, since 2016, I feel like there was this golden age of television from 2000 to 2010, but since 2010, there's so many more shows, but hardly any hits, like House of Cards is a hit, Game of Thrones, and that's kind of it, but like the 2000 to 2010, there was Sopranos, there was Lost, there was- Was Breaking Bad in that. Breaking Bad, Battlestar Galactica, was there's his so favorite. many hits yeah. and uh, now there's hardly any hits. And then now it's changing again where a book or a post, people are reading less and less. So you're never going to have a post again that gets a million views unless it's about Donald Trump. And it's really about Instagram photos and small YouTube videos. Like I feel like, and podcasts too, but you know, to an extent.
0: Well, it seems like podcast is the reaction to that where you can listen for an hour and a half.
1: Right, but like podcasts, every one of my podcasts, I used to get up to a million and a half views on an article, but I I will never get that again, it seems. Um, And and even though I have more quote unquote readers or followers than ever, but every one of my podcasts will get more views than my articles.
0: Was there a moment that that swung over? I'm. I'm going to tell you. As I feel like maybe the election, or maybe a little bit before. Three people in the last two days have signified a shift in society in all different ways. With the election night of um, Trump's 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 victory.
1: Yeah, I, because now it's just like I, I haven't read the news actually since about 2010. But now I feel like people just read the headlines and they kind of know what the article is going to be about. And the only, if you look at Google Trends, the only trend that ranks is the word Trump. Like everything else compared with Trump is like a flat line at the bottom. And it never used to be that way. It wasn't like Obama was always number one versus everything else. Like it might be Obama and Desperate Housewives or Obama and, you know,
0: what, the World Series. Uh, to, to correct me. Help me with this. I was thinking about this last night. Is Obama being turned into the Invisible Man? Has Trump so overshadowed him, and basically they've gone after everything he created, everything he worked for, and what you're talking about on Google is just the the name Trump is so large now that Obama just seems to have receded into the past.
1: Yeah, it's almost like Obama, W, Clinton. Oh, they're ex. They're in this category of ex-presidents. So that has its category. Um, and yeah, and then there's Trump. Because if you ha- think about it now, we know every single day what Trump did. I don't even read the news and I hear people in the street, can you believe Trump said this? But like, if you try to think... Name me 10 things Obama did. Probably would have a hard time saying 10 things. And yet people can name 10 things Trump's been up to, even if it's crazy or whatever. His craziness almost, whether you believe him or not, this is apolitical. His outlandishness, let's put it that way, is so striking that it just is head over heels anything anyone else has done. No, Nobody's been so outlandish. Again, I'm not saying good or bad. Right. So... uh.
0: But and is I, that is that the objective?
1: I don't know. I think I think it is a little bit because he realizes he's up against he's not running against Hillary Clinton, he's running against the memory of Obama right right now. Um so I think in part the dismantling is important to him, but I think also that's just who he is. That's just how he knows to be a celebrity. He 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 wants to control the frame of the nation. And that means eliminating all the other frames. Only one person can control the frame of the whole country. And if he lets anyone else control the frame, like someone could then say, oh, I'm the next Obama. And then they get a rallying cry.
0: Uh, right. I, I, it can be interesting to see who the Democrats come up with.
1: Like, it looks like, I mean, I was it looks like Elizabeth Warren is, is getting ready to announce Joe Biden obviously has been out there. I don't know, honestly, who else, but just think about them compared to the noise in your head about Trump. They're like tiny, tiny whispers and Trump is this huge loud noise. So, you know, and again, I don't know. I don't know what what the result of that is because we won't know. Obviously, it's hard to predict elections. We learned on the last election, but you know, one thing you can say Trump is really good at is controlling the noise in your head. That's why if you go on Google Trends, put in any topics you want. Put in pick five topics, but include Trump. Every line will be a flat line, and Trump will be huge. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you pick: UFC, World Series. uh... What's a what's a big thing that's in the news right now? The Thai kids who were saved. Uh... Yeah, the Thai cave, Elon <laughs> Musk, and then Trump. And Trump will be here and everybody else will be yeah. a flat line.
0: Well, it, it, this is our first reality show president. Yeah. I mean, do we need another reality show star to confront him?
1: Who is even a better reality show star who who you can say could run? So like- Tyra Banks obviously is 29 seasons in or however many, but she's not a presidential type candidate. Mark Cuban has been a reality show type of billionaire, but Trump's already crushed him in the reality, in in TV ratings way back, Trump crushed him. So who else is out there? You could say Jeff Bezos, maybe. What about George Clooney? Maybe. I mean, he's, his dad was a Democratic congressman. His wife, obviously, is an activist. He's, you know, he's been kind of a
0: semi-activist. That's, so that's a good idea. Very comfortable in front of the camera. His yeah. dad uh, was like a newscaster, lived in front of the camera.
1: But Trump can always say, and I'm not defending Trump, by the way. I really want to always stress I'm, I'm apolitical because I don't even read the news. so I don't even know what the issues are. But Trump can say, oh, well, I built X, Y, and Z buildings when New York City was bankrupt in the 70s, I was the only one to do this, whether it's true or not. Clooney can only say he was an actor. Good point. <laughs> so so we could say Trump was a, just a reality TV guy. He, there was a lot of reality TV guys, and he can say, well, I made The Apprentice the number one ranking show, you know, reality show at the time. Um, again, not defending him, no clue, whatever. I sort of feel it's not Democratic versus Republican. I think it's populist versus centrist now so if you look down the issues and do a checklist what were bernie sanders issues and what were donald trump's issues they actually camp. i don't know if they believe in the same things but they campaigned on the exact same policies i kind of i did an article once comparing one by one what their stances were on every issue they agreed on almost everything because they were the populists going for that populist vote whereas hillary clinton was a centrist so that's why New York City and LA loved her is where centrists live, and then populists live in all the other states. And so the electoral college you know, leaned towards Trump in a huge way.
0: Yeah, I know you were just uh, with Seth Godin. Yeah. And I can recall asking him, like, how can the country move back to the center? And he said, it's gonna be very difficult because- the center doesn't make noise. It's exactly what you're talking about. The extremes are what people grab for.
1: Well, and here, here's, here's a, a, a question, maybe one level deeper to ask, which is, has any country that ever, that was trending towards populism, has any country ever in the history in the past 3000 years moved back to the center without violence?
0: That's a great question I don't know
1: I don't think there's an, I think there's The answer is zero So you look at like Germany Ended in violence twice uh, You look at uh, the, Well you look at the At this You know Pre-revolutionary war Was trending towards populism Ended in violence um, You know Rome Became more populist And then you know Ended in Disintegrated in violence uh, I can't think of a You know uh, venezuela cuba russia uh I, they all ended in violence
0: this podcast is going to a dangerous place are we are we on oh i didn't even know we had started we See, always this, we this always is what started happened right. when we start talking james
1: yeah. because and we're not even you and i are not even interested in politics but <laughs> no. but yet but yet that's what
0: we just talked about uh, because man trump trends over everything else i don't know how that happened i i don't even know where it started but it yeah, how did it start?
1: What do we start talking about? UFC.
0: Bye.
1: UFC to Trump. Yeah, UFC to Trump because every topic somehow trends <laughs> towards Trump.
0: <laughs> all right, let me let me tell you what I really really came here to talk to you about. Yes,
1: let's let's do that cuz I, I don't find Trump all that interesting.
0: <laughs> and yet we all talk about him all the time. <laughs> what I came to ask you about are things because a few years ago, there was a fascinating story in the New York Times, uh, and the the headline said something like, "Why self-help guru you uh, only owns fifteen things." And James, I live in a house of clutter, and I'm looking around. Is that
1: true, Dylan? Your son's here. Yes.
0: There you so go. So we have proof. Yeah. <laughs> Definite proof. And here, here's the thing, I'll just explain myself so you can understand uh, where my head is at and help me through it. I look at little things as memories. And so I might have a pair of Converse sneakers that was given to me in South Africa by people who brought me in to speak And it was my birthday and there were 3000 people and they rolled out a cake and sang happy birthday to me. And the shoes become that memory to me. And I've had so many memories that are all linked to these things that they are swamping me. Would you say,
1: when you say swamping, I don't see you as a hoarder. You, don't, you probably don't say save lottery tickets from nineteen seventy nine but i i <laughs> you're, you're, Dylan your son is, is thinking about it
0: not, uh, not for, no not from nineteen seventy nine
1: but but I, I get the idea of saving objects as memories so 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 before I get into the full story uh the 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 snapshot what you're talking about is I threw out i obviously had a lot of belongings that I had built up over a course of forty years. Uh, or 50 years, I'm 50 years old. And when you move from house to house, you tend to bring all of your things with you. Maybe you throw out 5% of your things, but you tend to move all of your things with you. And so you accumulate more and more. And um, so without, I'll, maybe we can get into the details. And, and
0: I, I'm gonna go way back here. I, I'd like to like go to the start and and see the arc of your life as it relates to things. Okay. So I can understand why you did what you did, and maybe it can help me do some kind of cleanse.
1: Okay, so we, so there's a lot of ways to look at that, but I'll just I'll just I relate to also what you're saying about associating things with with memories, and I think many people relate to that. So what happened was in a snapshot, without getting into the details yet, uh, I'll just say the facts, I threw out everything I owned. So I was going away on a business trip or some kind of trip. I don't even remember. And I asked a friend of mine to, I had an apartment in the city and an apartment near my kids about 60 miles north of here and not an apartment, but a house 60 miles north of here. And I had lots of things in both places and both leases were ending and I had to decide what to do. And, uh, like, was I going to renew the leases? Was I going to just pick one place? Was I going to move someplace new? So I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do I'm going to do nothing. So I I A I informed both landlords I'm ending the leases and I wasn't going to rent any place new or buy anything new which leads to further questions but I'll describe what I did. And then I asked my friend Lisa to go to both places while I'm gone and I'll be gone for a week and just throw out everything. Do not save a single single thing. So that when I come back I will have no place to live. And the only thing I'll be coming back with is my carry on bag from the plane with one or two outfits and maybe a Kindle and a computer and a phone. And that's it, and a toothbrush. And um, so she took the entire week. Apparently, people don't realize how much, how many things they have. Like I didn't even realize how many things I had collected over, over the 50 years
0: they end up in those big hefty bags i'm sure those hefty plastic bags yeah and
1: you you also you don't even realize how many rooms you have or how many rooms you've been sticking things in the corner closet you know and how many basement how much space in the basement you've used of one of the place so anyway i thought it would take her just like an afternoon so (laughs) in her car and instead um she's told me later she had a whole u-haul like 18-wheeler every single day She brought her husband, her two kids, her cousins, her nephews, and just all day long, every day for a week, they were pulling stuff out of my house and apartment. And I gave her four choices. Either keep it for yourself, give it to charity, sell it and keep the money for yourself, or throw an item away. So, and But I said, one rule is don't call me at all. And (laughs) she called me once. She called me once and she said, are you sure you want to throw away your diploma? I mean, it's framed and you work so hard for this. Are you sure you want to throw away your college diploma? And I'm like, ai told you not to call me, but (laughs) B I've never once used that diploma since I graduated. So of course, just throw that one in the fireplace. Don't even throw it away. Don't even get
0: it to the U-Haul.
1: Yeah. Like if save on heat while you're doing this, like burn that diploma. But, but to say, to, to add to what you were saying, I had all these things that I didn't want to think about while she was doing this, because let's say you have your comic book collection from when you're nine years old and like, oh, I loved just the feel of the paper and the colors and the stories, you know, from all those comic books. And then, you know, books I read when I was a teenager and letters I had written and paintings I collected, like I had. I had um, animation cells from I Dream of Genie," the the opening sequence that I bought in 1999. I had um, uh, an animation cell from the TV show Underdog. I had uh, an original sketch when the animators of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs were pitching Walt Disney what the dwarfs would look like. I had their pitch. And, you know, hang up with them. These things weren't that expensive. I just collected a little bit. I had... Chessboards, go boards chess books i had all of my books i'd written like 15 books at the time all of your books yeah. you were sending out not only all my books but um i had a a, a cabinet case where you could see into the cabinet case all my books were there like really nicely set up all my books in foreign languages they've been in 20 different languages uh uh, uh i had and then of course there's all my dishes silverware <laughs> dishes from different periods of my life i had sheets towels uh Uh, beds, chairs, uh, you know, all the normal things that you don't even think of as things because they're in every single house. I had all my coats, clothes, clothes from years ago, sweaters from years ago that maybe one day I would wear again, just t-shirts, so many things. I'm just trying to, like, any awards I'd won, I had uh, trophies, uh, all these things that could have, you know, textbooks from college, uh, a novel that I had written up, and typed up and it was in a stack of papers from 1991. You got uh, rid of your own novel. Yeah. Four of them. And, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, 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 so add all this that I'm remembering now times 10, that was how many memories I had gotten rid of, you know, fo- Oh, photos of like my family photo album from when I was a kid. So my no. grandparents, no. my parents, cause these things, things were never digitized. Me as a little kid, my sisters and me, uh my cousins you know great grandparents what uh, all like i had f- several photo albums all thrown away um you know that had been kept on top of the mantelpiece above you know the kitchen uh you know all these i i could go on and on did, really
0: did you have you ever regretted sending one of those items off yes that's the thing. People people
1: would always ask me, like, oh, this must have felt so freeing, it's like a cleansing. And you know, it it did a little, but yeah, I also regret, like, not not every decision is supposed to be perfect. Uh like uh and it's okay to miss things. It's oh nostalgia and melancholy are actually pleasant emotions. Like I'm nostalgic for that photo of me with my daughter right after she's born that was framed oh on top my of my vansies I- i'm like nostalgic for it and i wish i could see it again but it's not a bad emotion it's just melancholy or nostalgia which people sometimes think think of as bad because it's somehow connected to melancholy is somehow connected to the sadness or depression but i feel melancholy over it i don't feel depressed over it uh uh So yes, I regret some of the things, but also I don't regret what I did. Overall, I don't regret what I did. And it was cleansing. And again, we can get into the story, but there is an outcome. First off, we're sitting in my, now, so for several years, I just Airbnb'd around. I kept the same carry-on bag. If I ever bought one item, I had to replace an item that was in the bag. (laughs) So it gave me a real connection to, you know, I used to pass a bookstore, say, and I see a book in the window and I'm like, oh, I want that book. I'm going to buy it. And I don't just want it on my Kindle. I want the real book. So i would go in and buy the book. I never used to, there would be no, there would be no separation between wanting and having. If I wanted something, I'd have it. And, uh, but suddenly there was a distinction. I couldn't, I would say to myself, I want that book, but then I'd have to think, but you know what? I, there's, it, I, there's nothing I need to replace in my bag. So I'm not going to buy that book. And I'd have to do that, let's say in the two years I was, or two and a half years I was living this way, must have done that a thousand times. Like it really taught me, it built this muscle of, you know, I don't need, need everything I want. So that became a real muscle that I had never had before. It was like a new emotion um, to, to want, but, but not immediately have. Um, Which, again, that's You weren't even
0: delaying gratification. You were denying gratification. Right, right.
1: I I would just tell myself, I don't really need to have this. I can get it on... I have a Kindle. I can get that book on my Kindle. Okay, if I like that shirt, maybe if I really love this shirt, I will replace it with a shirt I already love that's in my bag. But in general, I have what I'm wearing now is a white shirt and black pants, and that's it. And one pair of shoes that sort of served as shoes and sneakers. You couldn't really tell the difference. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, but eventually, uh, you know, so that, that was, I would say, the main thing I learned is that I built this muscle. And again, this sounds like a this, is a, this is a problem of privilege, obviously. Like some countries don't ever get what they want, but we're talking about our, you know, our friends and and the generation of people we know generally, have, you know, some disposable income and buy a book in the bookstore that they like. So, or they buy a uh, TV that they might like or whatever.
0: Uh, Most people have photo, old photos.
1: Yeah, so I have none of that. And uh, so so there was two things then. One is when I, I learned to appreciate nostalgia and melancholy and and being, and having unsatisfied nostalgia, like I couldn't go back and look at those photos of my, Myself with my daughters. Did it make you hone your memory to try and grasp them? That's a good question because I don't know the answer. I think I would be more aware. I would say to myself, "Oh, I missed that moment. I wish I could look at it again." But when I see my and I don't know if it gives me a, be, a better appreciation when I see my daughters now but I wow. certainly appreciate when I see my daughters now. I don't know if it would have been different if I had the, just the photo of them. Um, but the the real thing, the two things is it made me really appreciate the positive aspects of of melancholy and nostalgia. And it made me also real build this muscle that I never had before or I hadn't had since I was a little kid. You know, when you're a little kid, you want a toy, you can't always get every toy you want. But as an adult, from the age of like 23 on, say, after you've been working for a year after college, you could pretty much get most things that you want. And uh, no matter what your salary is, like my salary started really low, but anytime I was in a bookstore, I could buy what I want. I, I'm, I'm not the type who wants like big expensive things. And um, uh, I build that muscle that I can't get everything I want. And even the smallest, small, even like a towel, I wouldn't be able to buy a towel. Because I was staying in Airbnbs, they had towels. So it would make no sense for me to buy a towel.
0: Uh, was there one moment that precipitated this that you said, okay, that's it? I'm sending everything away.
1: You know, I wish, so I'm gonna to be totally frank in, in, in ways that I necessarily haven't been before. First off, that title of that New York Times article where you read this, they said self-help guru. Right. and the reporter. Well, he had to actually. He was. He's a great guy. I love him. He um, didn't write the headline. He didn't write the, headline. the story. He, and- he told me they they wrote the headline to include self help girl. I really right. didn't want the word guru or the word self help. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it's a like millionaire self help guru. Like everything I didn't want, like, was in there. Um, and uh, uh, sorry, what was what precipitated me saying that?
0: I was wondering if there was a. A moment that precipitated the decision to, uh, to, to do yeah. it. Yeah,
1: so a lot of people would think, oh, uh, I must be doing this self-help kind of thing. Like I'm gonna be a minimalist, <laughs> right? So everybody okay. just assumed, oh, you should see that documentary The Minimalist. And I like those guys who did that. I, don't, I haven't seen the documentary, but I personally like those guys. And uh, I don't know them personally, but I like their stuff. But I'm not a minimalist and I never have been. And homeless people on the street are more minimalist than me even when i did this but uh you know and i went to the airbnbs i i remember my daughter uh, the day after that article came out or no i wrote a blog post and my daughter's par- friend's parents were reading my blog always and so her friends came up to her the next day and they're like Josie is your dad homeless and <laughs> oh, no. cuz it showed up it showed up my blog post i had a picture of me just going between walking between airbnbs with all of my belongings so i said i at that moment i had no home and here's all my belongings and so the so josie's friends were saying is your dad homeless so josie came to the town and visited me and she she came into the airbnb i was staying at, at that point it was actually a, a friend's house and my friend wasn't staying there uh how old
0: was she at that point
1: point? 17 maybe or 16 uh, so and, she
0: comes in as a 17 year old yeah
1: and she was like Daddy, you're definitely not homeless because I was staying in a nice place. Uh, right. Uh, but it just wasn't mine and nothing in there was mine. And uh, and in fact, it was a friend of mine. So I wasn't even at an Airbnb then. I was just staying at a friend's house. And my friend, I had I had done a favor for this friend 15 years earlier. And he had another apartment in the city. I had made a lot of money for my friend. And he had another apartment in the city. And he said, why don't you just stay here for a few days. And I didn't want to take up too much of his generosity, so I stayed there a few days and then started my Airbnb. Um, but
0: uh, the but moment, I, the moment that it like hit you that I'm gonna do this.
1: yeah. so I wasn't it wasn't a necessarily a self-help motivation, which is what a hundred percent of the people thought. I'll add one more thing before fully answering the question. After that article came out, every literary agent called me. <laughs> Every TV production company called me. (laughs) Steven Spielberg's TV production company, Amblin Productions called me. They wanted to do uh, a scripted sitcom based on me. Uh, All the big agencies, you know, wanted to represent me. Um, Reality show companies called me, wanted to do a reality show. I ended up doing none of these things uh, because I just enjoyed what I was doing, which is writing and podcasting and other things that I do. Um, But anyway, to, to to your point... I think two things precipitated it before the self-help aspect, because there is a little bit of the self-help aspect. And there's two things which sound really kind of small and trivial, which is why I never really mentioned them before. They almost sound selfish, but one is I'm really, really super bad at paperwork. So like I'm incapable of, and everybody, a lot of people are bad at paperwork, so I'm not claiming a monopoly on this. But like, I need help with any kind of paperwork. It looks like a crossword puzzle to me. Like, where do I put my name, first name? I don't get it. Like, i it's almost like I'm blind when I look at paper. What does this have to do with anything? I literally couldn't rent a new apartment. And so I could have easily renewed, but I didn't want to renew these apartments for various reasons. And so I literally couldn't go to a real estate agent, fill out forms. And then when you rent an apartment in New York City, it's like it's like a full-time job. You have to fill out, 27 forms you have to get six references you have to get like all these background checks and agree to them so i just didn't want to go through that and nor did i want to move and figure out or nor did i want to put things in storage so there was this real selfish thing like i just didn't want to do all of these activities that i don't like doing so i had to weigh do i figure out what to do with all my things and just move into a new place and do all the work required and then move all my things with a moving truck or do I just do nothing and throw everything out? <laughs> so I opted to just do nothing and throw everything out and figure, okay, there's going to be consequences to that. Like I'm going to regret, but I'm willing to handle the consequences rather than rent another apartment. And <laughs> and then the other thing that happened was, uh, and I'll just kind of admit this for the first time, I had gone through a, kind of a devastating breakup in a marriage and then many you know a, a bit of time later this is when i had that part that that house upstate and then i had um uh an apartment in new york that i was sharing with somebody i was then dating and it wasn't really working out and so oh,
0: this is a double whammy so it
1: was a double whammy that i just didn't want to deal with all of those things about the marriage i didn't want to deal with the breakup. So suddenly when all the leases ended, I was able to say, Hey, going on this trip, this lease is over. I guess it's, this is totally selfish. I guess this is over with us. And that was how that ended. And, and suddenly I had nothing and I had nobody. And, you know, in terms of relationship and romantic relationship. And when I came back, I was just this new, I had this new life. I landed and I had nothing to do. And not, nothing going on. My business actually was in a state of flux also at that time. And so there wasn't really any pressing business demands. I just enjoyed writing. So I wrote up my experiences, what I was doing with all my things. And that became popular. And then the New York Times called about it. But it was there was a little bit of selfishness. And then I just didn't want to deal with my personal situations because they were so devastating to me. And I didn't really know how to deal with them. And I didn't really know how to deal with my real estate situation or with my personal belonging situation. Um, because Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, because I, I get kind of, probably you get this way too, I get kind of, I get to the point where I'm, I can only do the things I enjoy doing. So I enjoy writing, I enjoy podcasting, I enjoy, enjoy a few other things. Everything else that I don't enjoy, I don't do. So I don't enjoy figuring out what to do with 6,000 belongings. So I didn't do them, and I outsourced it and got rid of everything. And hopefully most of it ended up in either charity or help my friend or whatever. And I don't really enjoy ending relationships. I don't really enjoy dealing with the remnants of a devastating breakup. So I just did dealt with none of it. And What did
0: that do to you? Did it make you a free man?
1: Yeah, I was, I was totally it was like my it was like this weird thing where like my past was artificially erased i say artificially cuz it wasn't really erased i still had to deal with the ramifications of all of that but for the moment i could just focus on okay who am i i have this bag i have no place to live i remember sitting in a restaurant i got off the plane went to this restaurant i didn't even log into my computer or log into airbnb So my friend, I called up my friend and said, this is what happened. And he said, oh, well, I live across the street. You help me out once. I'll move to my other apartment. You just move to this apartment. The key is over here. And I moved there for a few days. And then finally, I got enough mental and emotional strength to log on to Airbnb. And I picked an Airbnb that I liked, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And I did this for like two years. And then finally, two years later, a friend of mine uh, called me a, a, a female friend who was always very helpful to me. And she said, you know, it's it's getting a little creepy at this point. Like who is going to want to be, you know, romantically go out with you? You're, you're almost 50. And this happened a short while ago when I was 49. You're almost 50. You have no belongings and no home. They're going to think you're incapable of putting down roots. So... She was right, I thought, and uh, I called up a real estate agent. There was only one building I wanted to live in, uh, and I called up a real estate agent, and he's like, no, no, don't live in that building. There's six other buildings I could show you, and I said, no, 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 I only want to live in this one building. Just sight unseen, I will take this apartment, (laughs) and he's like, you can't do that. That's insane, And and I said, okay, you could show me all those apartments you want to show me. He showed all of them to me. They were all better. And I said, I don't care. I just want to live in this building, just make an offer for this building. And he said, okay, but we're going to negotiate. I'm going to negotiate. And I said, don't negotiate. Just, I might lose the deal. It's the only apartment I want to live in. He did negotiate without my permission. And he got me a better deal. He said, that's just what happens. Don't worry about it. And then I moved in there with nothing, zero. So I remember I went to Bed Bath & Beyond and I got an air mattress and blew it up. And, and you, you've been in that part. That's where we did our last podcast. Yeah. And Uh, that was the only thing i had for a couple of weeks was just this airbed that and it it had a hole in it so in the middle of the night i always had to blow it up again because it was flat on the ground and then finally my friend said why don't you hire my friend who's an interior designer give her some money and she will buy you don't have to think about it at all you'll just return home one day and everything will be there and i was amazed like oh my gosh like Knives are in the drawer and forks and there's, di- and there's small dishes and big dishes and there's towels and there's uh, a real bed and a dresser. And not only is there a sofa, but there's a table next to the sofa where you can put your coffee cup and there's coffee mugs and a coffee machine and curd cups for the coffee. She did, she kind of just did everything my other friend did who removed everything Except she moved everything back in, but only the bare necessities that are in a basic, you know, starter apartment. Like all the things you need to live, she did. And I was amazed. I didn't even know you needed anything. She called Verizon and ho- waited for them to come and install the TV and she bought the TV and she did everything. And that's, that was the apartment you were in, where that's all I had. And then I moved once more since then. Um, because my kids were coming to stay with me for the summer and I need a little more space for them. So I moved in the same building to a different apartment. And I've been gradually now. Now you see over there, there's some books. I've been gradually, when there's a Uh-oh, book I like. Oh, it's creeping I bu- back. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have started to uh, mildly accumulate. I still have the muscle where I don't always need to get everything I want. But oh, if there's a book I really want to read and I don't want to read it just on my Kindle, I'll buy the book.
0: Time for a word from our sponsors. What does Squarespace have to do with this episode? A lot. Think of Squarespace as your new home on the internet. You're going to get a fresh start. You only want to take the best from your past with you and make it represent you as beautifully as you can. That's what I was able to do with Squarespace. You can see it on calfussman.com. I'm an old-school kind of guy, but I left my past behind. And I put up that website, and now people around the world are sending me photos of where they listen to big questions through Squarespace. You can't reach for what's in front of you unless you let go of what's behind you. I'm a new man in part because I'm powered by Squarespace. Check it out and see what it can do for you. Your messaging will be clean and your photos will pop off the screen. And if you use the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you'll get 10% off your next domain name or website. Reach out for Squarespace and see who you can be. And ZipRecruiter. And if ever a sponsor applied to this podcast, it's ZipRecruiter. If you need to make changes in your business, ZipRecruiter is the way to go. I know the people who started this company. I know the people who are continually lifting it to new heights. Let them help you. If you need to hire new talent, all you got to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com, type in your job description, and with a single click you'll have qualified candidates heading to you within 24 hours. In This way, you'll be able to take your company to new heights. And if you go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you're going to get a free trial. The simple exercise of going through this process will convince you that ZipRecruiter can take your company to places it's never been. Transform your company with ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. What was it like for the first time you cooked something or just put out your own dishes? knife fork and sat down at your own table and ate after that two years well you just made
1: a lot of assumptions there which is that i used my plates and i used i didn't even know what was in my kitchen but what what i would do was it was really nice at the end of the day to go to this mostly empty house and order delivery on seamless or grubhub or whatever and get it delivered and watch TV and I would just eat out of the bag. I didn't use my plates because I didn't want to clean the plates. <laughs> I just wanted it as pristine as possible. Um, but the very first time I cooked, it was many months later, I was dating somebody and it was Valentine's Day. So I figured, you know what? I'm gonna cook for the first time since I was 18 years old. And I had never used the oven. So I'd been living in this place for months <laughs> I never used the oven. I guess the last person who had lived there left some grease at the bottom of the oven. So, and, and, but it had never been cleaned. So, this is like six months I'm living in this apartment. And I start making some kind of fish that I bought down the street. It's the only thing I knew how to make because I figured you just heat it to 350, you put the fish in, it's done. And, uh, uh, but the oven blew up (laughs) because there was grease went on fire and there's smoke coming out. There's alarms off. Like, my, girlfriend it was valentine's day
0: valentine's day Day girl comes in
1: yeah like it was horrible and then the guy across the hall from me uh he was like is there is everything okay like he runs in like there's smoke pouring out of the apartment (laughs) like there's fire uh and so we put all that out with his help and then he said why don't you just finish this in my oven finish the fish cook it in my oven and my girlfriend's like yeah let's do that and it's valentine's day and i'm thinking you know i don't know if i want like this other guy like hanging out while I'm cooking this meal, I felt like emasculated a little bit. And, uh, but he was a nice guy. We, he let us use the oven. Then we went back to the apartment and had the fish. And that was my first and first and last time cooking since, uh, <laughs> oh, since I, I moved into an apartment. And, and there is this aspect of, okay, I was a little bit, I was somewhat of a minimalist. I agree with that. And it changed me. And still the changes are in place. But, you know, I probably went overboard, but I usually go
0: overboard on most of the things I do. <laughs> and and so now, after this whole experience, like, what would you recommend I do? I, obviously, I've got my wife and I've got three kids. Um, only one lives at home. Uh, two are off in college. Is Is it would it be foolish of me to just start going item by item and saying yes or no? Yes,
1: that's foolish. That's foolish. I'll tell you why. So there's the Marie Kondo book, The Art of Tidying Up or The Magic Art of Tidying Up, great book about minimalism. And her thing is put everything on the ground and pick it up and hold it to your chest. And if you love it, keep it. And it sounds nice, but let's take your example. A, you have thousands of items, I'm sure, so that would take a really long time. And B, you're going to love everything. <laughs>
0: <So> how, <laughs> That's how why much I'm keeping it in the first place. <laughs> you're not going to throw everything.
1: <laughs> so what you got to do is you got to just say, okay, this closet with all these clothes, just hire someone to come in and just get rid of that closet. Now, you live with a wife and a family, so you, you really can't do what I did. At that point, I had nobody personally in my life. So for instance, since I started again, dating somebody, you accumulating begins because people, couples need things. Um, You need your own set of towels. You need sheets that could be changed. Uh, You know, your Airbnb hosts, maids aren't going to do it for you. Um, And nobody wanted to Airbnb around the world with me. Uh, And uh, so you start to uh, uh accumulate things but you do stuff with care. So now, but well, what if you're already in the point where you've been married for decades, you have children living with you, you can't obviously throw out their stuff. Uh I don't know what you should do other than the fact that nostalgia isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I would just throw out everything except the things you've used in the past week. Now, Your, your, your wife, (laughs) your wife's going to say no to this because she wants to keep things and it's her business what she wants to keep and, and different people are, are more nostalgic than others. But you should say, okay, I haven't touched this book in a year. I'm going to just give it away to the local library. Now, but you're going to say to yourself, but I might need to reference it. I might want to interview this guy later or whatever. I might need to reference it for something or I might just pick it up and it will make me think of something else and I'll give me an idea for a story. No, just anything that you, anything that's yours, that's solely yours, that you haven't personally touched in the past year, I would just throw out. And that includes your old comic book collection, baseball card collection, Shh. diploma, you might um, wanna save, photo albums, people are always shocked by, so you might wanna save those, or maybe you have looked at those in the past year. But if you haven't,
0: why do you have them around? Are you gonna look at them next year? Do you have an appointment? You know what, this is, that is a great question because I start to wonder, well, maybe there'll be a moment when, and, and Dylan's always saying to me, you know, Dad, you never tell me all these old stories. I, I've run into people that know you that start to tell me experiences that they know about you, and it seems to me a photo album is a good way of getting those memories out. Well, how? So, when did Dylan ask you that? Oh, he. I've mentioned this multiple times. Like two days ago is the last time.
1: Okay, it's been over the so- year. So, so two days ago, he said, why don't you tell me this story? So that's related to the photo album. So right. keep the photo album so you can tell him the story. Um, or throw out the photo album and write the story down. It's another way. Uh, <laughs> or do a podcast with him where he, where he asks you questions about each story uh, in the photo album and then throw the photo album out. <laughs> so, uh, or, or take a picture of every item in the photo album, write a little story about it, and then throw the photo album out. And now you have a digital, so you can throw it out. I didn't do that because uh, I had not looked at the photo album. My kids didn't seem to care about what was in them. And uh, there was no, and I hadn't looked at these things in years, so I had no reason. I, I had no reason to think, you know, it's that, it's that effect. I forgot what Nassim Tulev calls it. But if you haven't done something in the past year, chances are you're not going to do something in the next year. So if you haven't worn a sweater in the past year... You're not going to wear it over the next year because you buy new clothes all the time. Why would you wear a sweater that you haven't worn in the past year? So just so that's a start. I did an extreme, but a start is pick a time point, one year, two years, six months and say, if I haven't looked at something in the past year or even thought about it. Now, the photo album is different. Dylan says he asked you two days ago about this story. You know, you could tell the story if you're looking at the photo album. Keep the photo album. But if there's a book like, I don't know, a pulp Robert Sheckley science fiction book from the 50s that you haven't read since you were 16 years old and it's on your bookshelf because you just love looking at it like the paper and that's little wrinkled and it's got that browning effect and you just love that throw that out because you haven't opened it
0: in years you know some something happened to me the other day that somehow attached to this uh, because I, here I, I've written written for magazines for most of my life and As you know, the magazine industry is not doing uh, as well as it used to do. And so I arrive in New York and I'm doing a documentary. And So there's a videographer walking around with me and I'm pointing out restaurants where these amazing memories exist. And literally every street, another restaurant, another person, and I can feel it. Almost like a movie in front of my eyes.
1: I, I know what you mean. And I, I don't mean to interrupt, but New York City's great that way. Like I'll be at a corner and suddenly it really is like how they do flashbacks in movies. Like I'm I'm 24 years earlier and I see everything happening around that happened at that moment 24 years earlier. But if you don't remember that moment, what's it worth
0: keeping around? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me, let me take you to where it took me, which is gonna to lead to my next question. Yeah. So I'm walking with this videographer and we pass a newsstand. And you know, like you can think of newsstands from the old days, even the movie, The Godfather, where they're walking down the street and The Godfather's just been shot. And Al Pacino looks at the newspaper and sees his dad's been shot. And I'm looking at this newsstand and there was no newspapers and there was no magazines in it. It was like all M&M's. Yeah, candy. And candy,
1: Like a razor blade.
0: It, it had been, it had been <laughs> replaced. And then maybe there were some uh, devices to plug in an iPhone if you lost yours. And I realized this is a shift. This is new territory. Yeah. And this is one of the th- reasons I wanted to ask you about this because... Are we down the road going to be able to just have all those photo albums sort of digitally loaded into our brains and we're just not going to need this stuff?
1: Well, the answer is definitely yes. Like people no longer really keep like, like my kids, they don't even know what a photo album is at this point. Like Dylan, I'm sure your son's sitting right here. You when you get a photo you really love, you put it on Instagram or yeah. store it on your email or something. You don't, he doesn't like print it up and paste it into a photo album. Have you ever done that once? What's a photo album? Yeah, right. So so that is over. And, and yes, nos- we could have nostalgia about it. People like you and me who had photo albums and we remember our parents pasting a Polaroid, you know, and that Polaroid feel and the smell of it just coming out of the camera. We have that feel of it. And we want that. And, we, and that's why you hold on to these photo albums. But everything is digitally. And by the way, it's higher quality digitally when you, you, and you can print it up and see it higher quality than it would have been in an in a old photo album. But, you know, everything's changed. We live in an access economy rather than a ownership economy. Meaning um, I was able to, for two years, own nothing and live nowhere. And yet- I lived quite well, you know, (laughs) because I had access to everything. I had access to cars without owning a car. I had access to the best chefs in the world without knowing how to cook. Uh, I had access to great homes. I had access to clothes. You know, I had access to everything I needed. The same things I have access to right now, even though now I'm accumulating a little bit more. Like think about Grubhub or Seamless, which delivers food from local restaurants I can sit here and I could say, should I cook while I'm watching TV? Nah, I'm going to call, I'm going to, I'm going to get the best chef in New York <laughs> City to personally cook me a meal and send some, somebody over to deliver it for me. And I'm going to eat it like the best meal that could possibly be cooked better than any meal I could have cooked for myself. And then, and then instead of going out to the movies, I'm going to have a movie theater size tv screen you know in terms of my field of vision in front of me where someone spent 200 million dollars creating a production just for me because we i don't know if anyone else is watching it i'm just watching it in my home by myself and the you know martin scorsese might have directed it just for me this <laughs> wolfgang puck made his meal just for me <laughs> and i'm in this great apartment that someone made just for me, as far as I know. And they even decorated it with their most amazing interior decorator and spent millions on it for all I know. And I get to just have access to it for as long as I want. And that's the economy we live in now. And we're moving more and more towards that. And then, oh, I'm going to go visit my friend. Do I call? Do I get my car? Where did I park it? Blah, blah, blah. And I got to pay a parking permit or whatever. No, I'm just going to get someone to pick me up in a the best SUV possible, a guy who's driven his car around New York City 8,000 times. So he's a great driver. And he'll take me to my friend's house and I, in two minutes.
0: And I have access to that. I, I think I'm ready for the future. I'm listening to this, and I know I got to make this change. I, very hard to be as extreme as you were. But you're not, but you're-
1: though. Look at you right now. You, you You're... You know, I don't know if this is still your title, but you've been an editor at large at Esquire, a great magazine owned by a great company, Hearst, a media company that's been around for 100 years. And, you know, they own tons of magazines. People would be surprised to know they own all this huge collection of magazines. But yet you're doing Cal Fussman's
0: podcast. I, I've moved on. I'm, right. It's podcasting, speaking, documentaries. Which is about you which is you have
1: access straight to the people who are listening to you. You have access straight to the people who are reading you. You have access to the people straight who will hire you to speak at their events. It's, it's the gatekeepers are gone. Now people have direct access to everything they want. People have access to you by
0: going to the Cal Fussman podcast. The, the same way that you're getting the best chef to cook your dinner, Right. People could say, oh, I want I
1: want access to the best podcast. Let's listen to Cal Fussman's podcast. I don't have to turn on to Channel 10 and wait for Cal Fussman to appear on TV. And hopefully the powers that be at the TV channel selected Cal Fussman, who's my favorite, uh, for a TV show. And then I got to wait for Thursday night at midnight to see Cal Fussman interview people. I could, anytime I want, go to my podcast app and listen to my favorite person i have access to him 24 hours a day
0: you're making this very appealing to me james here's my my one question that i i'm, I'm wondering about because i was just talking to somebody who was telling me that like i think the number was like one in four people in america uh, have no friends because they're so now connected to the technology that they're not like looking a friend in the eye and talking about the things that are most important to them. And I, I'm wondering if, if I go this route, if I dive into digital, do the digital dive, will I start losing these connections? Because I, I, I am so connected my, my tissue so connected that I, I could connect with a book cover. I could connect with a pair of shoes. And also, you're a very social person. I know this about you. you
1: know, I could, but let me ask you an important question. Where are you sitting right now?
0: I am sitting in your apartment. Right. Where's your son? Where's your family? My son is on your couch. Right. So are we... Tweeting at each no, no. other. No. Are we and, skyping? And look, we, even? I sit down with you. I I don't even know when the podcast starts. Right. We just start talking. We're into it.
1: Right. So so like I always do my podcast in person because only 10% of communication is verbal. Right. And let's say let's say our friendship was built off of texting. Okay, there's only like five percent of friendship or, or communication is probably texting because people miscommunicate Like for instance, if you just start dating someone, you should never text them because texts are always misunderstood all the time. So advice number one for dating is don't text as little as possible because you could be misunderstood. Um, but so I, I think communication, we're still blood, you know, we're, we're still made out of skin and bones and blood and muscle. That's never going to end. Uh, well, maybe it will at some point, but at the moment it's, it doesn't seem far off. Uh, so to really communicate with people, you have to be there in person. And by the way, So, because we're tribal animals, there are so many studies that suggest uh, well being. I won't use the word happiness, but well being is a key component, is your friendships and your relationships. So, it's sort of sad that one in four people don't have friends. The flip side of that is, I remember the first time I wrote an article online, it was 2001 or 2002. Somebody commented or sent, sent me an email and said, Great article. And I picked up the phone and called them and uh, they were in Dallas, Texas. And they were like, Whoa, no one's ever, I just made a comment on your article. No one's ever picked up the phone and called me before. But then, uh, and I used to do that with every, all of my comments. Now I don't, but uh, back then I did, I was so excited to get comments. And like that person in particular, the very first comment I got, I remember his name's TC Green. I actually <laughs> flew, stay and visited with us. Like six months later, we texted for a long time. We called each other. I flew and visited and stayed with his family. His boss invested. I was running a hedge fund at the time. It was 2003 at this point. It's his boss invested in my hedge fund. So, But that was only after I personally visited. So business is still done,
0: you know, person to person. Wow. You know what? The same thing, I find it happening to me. Uh, where I I, I know nothing about business. And so when I started the podcast, I started speaking to people in business. And Melanie Whelan, the CEO of SoulCycle, said to me, Cal, the the first thing you got to do is know your audience. And I'm thinking, I I have no idea who my audience is. Even when I was at Esquire, that wasn't my job. I just went out and interviewed Mikhail Gorbachev and then wrote the story and then they sent it out. And I realized when I was listening to her that this is more complicated than I thought because she said, you know who our competition is? And I said, no. And she said, Netflix. And then the light went off. It makes sense. If somebody's sitting on a couch watching something great that Netflix has on, they can't be at Soul Cycle using the bike.
1: It's really true. A uh, little bit of difference in that, you know, Soul Cycle. There is an there's always an audience of people who want to get healthier, and they're not going to sit around and eat potato chips while watching Netflix. They're going to look for. They're going to look for their options, at least in the exercise space. Soul Cycle being one, Crunch Gyms being another, and so on. So she's a little bit right, but a little bit wrong. But uh, you kind of knew your audience. You knew the audience of Esquire which has a particular demographic. Uh, just by looking at you, I could tell you the kind of audience you have. You have, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 mid-30s to, to, to early 60s male uh, audience, somewhat intellectual, uh, who likes sports also. <laughs>
0: and interesting. I find there's a lot of young people that are following. But what, what I did is I started asking people who listen to the podcast, send me a picture of where you live. I want, I want to see where you live. And, and these pictures start flying in from all over the world. Uh, so if I did a podcast with a therapist about ice cream and how I might deal with my love for it, the next thing I know I'm getting photos of people in front of ice cream stands in Australia with signs saying, Cal, come have some ice cream. So, so what you
1: did was, was also, let's say, so what I did was like three generations old for the way I analyze your audience. What you did is two generations old, the current generation of people who want to know who, what their audience is. Someone visits your site where they get access to your podcast or whatever, or your articles. Someone visits your site, you drop a pixel on there or a cookie or whatever, you know, you drop a pixel on their browser and now, your data manager follows that pixel around as they traverse the internet and you aggregate this among the million or so people who, over the course of a year, go to your website, you know, making up numbers. And then they will tell you, okay, on average, your audience is 36 years old. They ten percent of the websites they visit are porn websites. five oh, percent. I don't want to know that. Five percent are racing websites. They tend to buy from these grocery stores. And when they buy from these grocery stores, they buy, you know, steak and strawberries and this and that. And, and they buy six strawberries. <laughs> so there's so much data that, that data analytics actually know about. If you were to use them, actually know about your customers, it's, it's scary. Because then what you can do is, inst- they, they, it, strawberry lovers. <laughs> right. You could, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to advertise my podcast on Barron's, which is expensive you know, or Esquire, which is inexpensive to advertise, you could say, oh, well, just the same people buy strawberries. So I'm going to advertise on a strawberry <laughs> website, oh, which no. is cheap. <laughs> so that's how people use data now. Uh, and that's how why da- why like, you'll get emails. You're, like, you'll hit some sites about, I don't know, Vancouver, Canada. You're thinking of vacation. And then suddenly you'll start getting emails from Airbnb. Here's our favorite houses in Vancouver. If you're taking a vacation, like, Everybody, because then people buy the data from Experian and other places that keep track of data. Uh,
0: So I really have no control of where this is going. I might as well just start moving down the stream.
1: Yeah, I mean you can't fight you can't fight the trend, and it's not necessarily a bad or a good trend. We can't analyze good or bad. I think that's why it's just good to keep on like ignore all that and do work do the work you love in the medium that's best for you to do it. Like, and you're, like you said, magazines are going down, podcasts are going up. So this is the medium where you can do your best craft. And then, you know, if you wanna do other things around that, that's fine, but you just wanna really focus on your craft. That's being really a minimalist, is focusing on your craft and just finding the best medium to do that in.
0: Well, I gotta say, just sitting across the table from you, looking you in the eye, seeing your smile, That's what it's about for me.
1: Yeah, Um, I agree with that. Me too. I, you live in L.A. If you lived in Manhattan, I'm sure we would like hang out
0: uh, comedy club all the time, all the time. Do you go to comedy clubs in L.A.? Um, a couple of times recently. So I guess that means that I do.
1: All right. Well, we'll go to next time in L.A. Let's go to a comedy club together. Okay. And
0: when I'm back, we're actually heading to the airport in a few minutes. I could talk to you for 24 hours straight. In fact. We could probably break a Guinness World Book of Records. It's so
1: funny you ask. By the way, in the room, too, is Steve Cohen and Jay, the audio engineer. Steve Cohen's the great best podcast producer in the business. Steve and I called the Guinness Book of World Records and said, how can we break the record for longest consecutive, you know, doing of a podcast? And what was it, like 72 hours we'd have to do? I think it was seventy two and I said I would do eighty. Okay, yeah, I think it was seventy two. I mean some guys in was it Denmark? Yeah. Something they did it. They did a radio show. I was surprised because my mouth was writing checks that I was hoping his body could cash. And like, you know, we went through the whole thing with the nice folks at Guinness and maybe we'll still do it, but yeah. Uh Well, you
0: know what? I had the same idea, and I'm willing to propose maybe we can come together and instead of three yeah. days we can yeah. who knows we can do a week or two because we could
1: rent out uh, not run, even read out. like the, so the comedy club across the street I'm part owner of as part of my accumulation base <laughs> and uh, we could just use that stage they'll they'll book it out. they already told me they'll book it out whatever three or four or five days we want and we'll have guests and we'll have audience you know throughout we'll keep tweeting to our audience and we don't even have to do we I love Guinness. And I love Guinness, but we could just do it and say we broke the record. That's the thing, too. Why do we need Guinness's stamp? We can say we broke the
0: Guinness record without Guinness approving it. You know, what? I was just at an event. It was a crazy event uh, thrown by Spartan Races. They have a death race. And the event was a 26.2-mile barbed wire crawl. And the Guinness Book of Records was there to adjudicate it. And I mean... These people, they they show up. It's very precise. They're measuring things, and it was very official. But I tend to agree with you. It's the doing of it. It's right. the sitting here. Right. It's the enjoyment.
1: If people ask the question, because we'll we'll generate publicity, we'll get we But 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 here's the thing: Guinness charge it for a marathon event. It's tricky because Guinness charges for the time of the judges. So if you're doing a marathon event. You're paying a lot of money every eight hours. So to break our record, and again, I understand why Guinness is doing this. They should do this. It's their name. It's their brand. They've built up over 100 years. Plus, it's the time of the judges and all the work they put in. But it's, it would have cost us well over $100,000. So then you have to think, well, did you get Whoa. sponsors for it? And and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have the stage already. We have the audience no one's going to just dis- if anyone disputes it in the Guinness Book of World Records we just say well we did it longer so you haven't broken the record and you know i don't know why you need uh yeah. we could hire a- we could ha- hire a-, a judge anyway for cheaper who would be let's say uh independent right we can hire from midroll or some podcast company
0: to be an independent judge so and we could it could be filmed so everybody right. could, could it could be live streamed yeah er- People around the world could be watching it. I think
1: actually Guinness didn't have a podcast category. It was a live streaming category.
0: Well, I am open to this. I, I am completely open to sharing this with you if if you're up for it. And I don't know how it would work if we both have to be uh, on the same, at the same table all the time, or can we rotate in and out? Uh, I think-
1: we could call it a special show and then the show is live streaming. You know, even Guinness allows for breaks. They allow for five minutes every hour. So you build up, let's say 12 straight hours. Now you have or two hours. You could take a brief nap or whatever. But I'm sure there's ways. We could. We just define our category. I think the whole thing is with this access economy is you define the category and we're going to break it in that category. In fact, Guinness and other world record companies they're famous now for inventing categories for companies, so McDonald's could say to Guinness, "Hey, we'll pay. We want a category about McDonald's." So then Guinness will create a record: "Oh, who can eat the most number of fries in an hour?" And that's McDo- McDonald's fries. And McDonald's will pay to base for that record to be broken, uh, and you know Guinness gets a cut
0: on that. It, this is perfect because there's so many options. We could trade places. We could be. At the same table, it, it could be completely fluid. We can have guests just coming in one after
1: the other. Can have
0: audience ask us questions. Uh,
1: uh, there's so many different like formats we could play with it during that during that time.
0: it minimum a week. Yeah. Minimum a week.
1: Yeah, we should do it. I'm in. And then <laughs> seamless get us food.
0: <laughs> and well, we got. The best chefs in the world. All you got to do is go on the internet and get them to cook for you.
1: Exactly. Heck, heck Wolfgang Puck was on our podcast. We got Wolfgang Puck in the, to, to, to <laughs> hang out with us. We talked to Seth Gordon about By the Way bakery, he said. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. wife has the bakery,
0: bake shop down the corner. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of synergy, Cal. I am completely in. It's just a joy. say that now. No, 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 no. <laughs> If when I, are you coming back into town? If I feel this much pleasure just sitting down with you, what have we been, an hour, hour and a half? Yeah. Imagine 72, 96, 120. We only talked about like half a topic, yeah. minimalism, <laughs> I where, I,
1: I, where I displayed that my minimalism was totally a selfish, <laughs> uh,
0: personally destructive act. Which no, no. in the long run helped me, but I think you. Had, I was you, honest. I'm going. I'm going to take strides in in your direction. I'm going to figure out how to do it, and I will let you know. But it's time. It's clearly you've convinced me. It's I think, time.
1: I and again, just to get back to that, I think one technique is just to ask, what? Don't even say you're going to throw stuff out in your mind. Like like you're going to fake out your mind. Just pile up or put in a closet everything you have not looked at or opened in a year or two years or five years, but give yourself an easy first test 10 years and then just throw it out. Pay someone else to throw it out because you can't go through it. Cause you're like, Oh no, that was my <laughs> no. captain crunch to- whistle from my childhood. I can't throw that out. <laughs>
0: I, you I have a captain crunch whistle. I, no. <laughs> no. no captain crunch. I got the idea though. And so I am well-armed and well-suited for this task. And we're, we're holding you to it. Dylan, Dylan has been listening. You're going to watch this and you can report back. And maybe you report back on the world record winning podcast yeah. endurance. I think I'm going to
1: stay up for 72 hours. That's no, you could
0: have just a little bit of a segment. I, we'll be I dead know, at the end, know. but you have a long life ahead of you. <laughs> I, I say at least a week. Yeah, I know we can do at least a week. Let's do it. We can do it. Okay. And by the way, so just to be clear, um,
1: you feel that a conversation with James is an appreciating asset rather than depreciating.
0: Are you (laughs) kidding?
1: I live for this. Okay, great. You know, and look, after five hours, when it starts to be depreciating, then we bring on the next uh, wave of guests. So,
0: (laughs) this is beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, it's just such a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thanks, Cal. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I really appreciate you inviting me to come on your podcast. Yeah, it,
0: it, it seems like whenever we do this, it doesn't matter whose podcast it is. Right,
1: we got such great feedback when you, when you were on, too. So, so I'm happy to, to, to be on yours, and hopefully we'll get
0: the same kind of feedback. I think it's sort of like the way you're describing where the future is going. It's not owning anything. It's just being there in the moment. Thanks so much. All right. We will see you at the comedy club. Excellent. All right. Cheers. Time to wrap it up. Want to leave you with one last takeaway from James. As he walked my son and I out to the elevator next to his apartment, he came up with a strategy to throw out items that you no longer need. It's kind of a two-place strategy. You get a new place a month before you leave your current home, and then you slowly begin taking the things that you really need from one place to the other. The things that you determine you don't need, you just let go. I learned a great deal about discipline over things in this episode, and will immediately begin trying them out. I'll let you know how it goes. One thing I will never part with, I'm still the same old gal, is the photos you send me of where you listen to Big Questions. They bring me such joy. If you're up to sending me one, I'd be so appreciative. (laughs) They really make my day. It's hard to describe how happy they make me. I would also be grateful if you'd rate this podcast on iTunes, And speaking of gratitude, let me thank Squarespace and ZipRecruiter for bringing this episode to you. On top of that, I'll never forget to mention Tim Ferriss, who pushed me to start this podcast. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I also want to thank James Altucher's producer, Steve Cohen, for his great thoughts, one-liners, and all-around assistance, as well as the engineer, James Yao, who was an engineer in the greatest sense of the word. He actually put all this together. I hope that all the information and opinions James Altucher put forth will help you engineer a better life. Enjoy it until we meet again next week. Cheers!